It's a slow fade when you give yourself away. It's a slow fade when black and white are turned to gray and thoughts invade and choices are made and a price will be paid when you give yourself away. People never crumble in a day. It's a slow fade. Welcome to The Barnabas Effect with Paul Purvis, Senior Pastor of Mission Hill Church, a multicultural, multi-generational, multiplying church focused on shining the light and love of Jesus Christ like a city on a hill. You're invited to visit any of the three locations in Temple Terrace and Tampa. For information and locations, visit missionhillchurch.com. Now, with today's message, here's Pastor Paul Purvis. This next verse, Genesis 39, 4, makes it very clear. So Joseph found favor in his sight, and he attended him, and he made him overseer of his house, and he put him in charge of all that he had. You see, Joseph didn't have to tell Potiphar that the Lord was with him. Potiphar saw that. That'll be true in your life, too. When you live your life with the hand of God on your life, others will begin to see it. By the way, they they see it when it doesn't appear to be that way either. But when they see God's hand on your life, they will will want in on what God is doing through you. So so notice how it continues in verse 5. From the time that he made him overseer in his house and over all that he had, the Lord blessed the Egyptian's house for Joseph's sake. The blessing of the Lord was on all that he had in house and field. So he left all that he had in Joseph's charge. And because of him, he had no concern of anything but the food that he ate. Now just think about that for a moment. God was so pleased with Joseph that he even addressed this pagan leader that had bought Joseph. Potiphar was an influential man in Egypt. He wasn't the main guy. We'll meet him later in the story. But he was influential. He'd be like the director of our CIA or or the secret police. He was a key cog in the Egyptian wheel. And yet he put Joseph in charge of everything in his house. Since he didn't worry about anything other than what he ate. And that's the context for the main thrust of the story that we're focusing on today in Genesis 39. Notice what it says next in verse 6. Now Joseph was a handsome, now Joseph was handsome in form and appearance. Well, that would be a good way to be remembered in Scripture, isn't it? Wouldn't it? Hey, Joseph was handsome in form and appearance. And after a time, his master's wife, Potiphar's wife, cast her eyes on Joseph and said, lie with me. But he refused and said to his master's wife, Behold, because of me, my master has no concern about anything in the house. And, and he's put everything that he has in my charge. He, he's not even greater in this house than I am. Nor has he kept back anything from me except you. Because you are his wife. How, how then can I do this great wickedness and sin against God? And, and as she spoke to Joseph day after day, he would not listen to her to lie beside her or to be with her. But one day... When he went into the house to do his work and none of the men in the house were there in the house, she caught him by his garment saying, lie with me. But he left his garment in her hand and fled and got out of the house. And as soon as she saw that he had left his garment in her hand and had fled out of the house, she called to the men of the household and said to them, see, he's brought among us a Hebrew to laugh at us. He came in to me to lie with me and I cried out with a loud voice. 
And as soon as he heard that I lifted up my voice and cried out, he left his garment beside me and fled and, and, and got out of the house. Then she laid up his garment by her, mas- by her until his master came home. And she told him, this is Potiphar, the same story, saying, the Hebrew servant whom you've brought among us came into me to laugh at me, but as soon as I lifted up my voice and cried, he left his garment beside me and fled out of the house. Last week, we, we saw that Joseph was tested. Next week, we're going to see the follow-up to this story. This week, we're seeing that he was tempted. Do you understand what temptation is? Temptation is an outward solicitation to do evil that, that touches an inner propensity that we have to do wrong. If you've heard much of the teaching and preaching from our church, you know that we believe scripture says that you're not a sinner because you've sinned. You're a sinner because that's who you are. You're, you're born a sinner. You have this natural bent towards sin and that sin is going to be acted on at some point. It's an inner propensity. It's like the old hymn, come thou fount of every blessing. It says, prone to wander, Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love. We're all prone to do this sin. And so how do we fight temptation? How do we deal with this sin that we're prone to deal with? Well, let me first tell you some things about temptation. Number one, temptation is not sin. You're not sinning until you entertain that temptation and act on it. Just to have the thoughts of temptation, according to scripture, that is not sin. In fact, this is what it says in 1 Corinthians 10, 13. No temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man. God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond your ability, but with the temptation, he'll also provide the way of escape that you may be able to endure it. Temptation is not sin. It's common, In fact, as this passage said, there's always a way out of temptation. So when you feel like you're overwhelmed, you feel like, I don't know how I got into this situation. I I don't know if there's a way out. According to scripture, according to the Bible, there is a way out of all the temptations that you'll face. Thirdly, your circumstances never excuse your sinfulness. I know what you're thinking. Oh, you don't understand how bad my marriage was. You don't understand how beautiful she was or how handsome he was. You don't understand how much I needed that drink and just wanted to get rid of the pain. You don't understand how desperate our finances were. And I I didn't think this little bit of cheating at work would make that much difference. No, this passage reminds us that circumstances never excuse our sinfulness because remember, Joseph was down. His circumstances had been the pits. And that, that, that did not excuse sin. But, but we don't have to just look at his life. We can go back to that first act of sin in the Garden of Eden. Adam and Eve could not have had better circumstances. They were in the best of circumstances. And yet they sinned. And, and then if we fast forward to the temptation of Jesus in the wilderness, 40 days in the wilderness, no food, no water. He had the worst of circumstances. And yet he did not sin. So circumstances never excuse our sinfulness. So then why do we sin? I think the Bible teaches that sin is always a result of our character. Remember, that outer desire is conflicting with this 
inner bent, this propensity to sin. So what's on the inside eventually comes out. Our character. So what you need to begin to ask is, do I have the character to withstand temptation and find God's way out? In other words, if temptation is going to derail your dreams, the first thing you've got to understand is that you are your biggest problem. In fact, I would say the title of this message is Your Dream's Greatest Danger. And you know what your dream's greatest danger is? Your dream's greatest danger is you. So I, I want to spend some time focusing on you and, and how you are going to deal with temptation. And, and I think we can learn a lot from this interaction between Joseph and Potiphar's wife. Now, I want to give you a spoiler alert before we go through all of this. In the last chapter, Joseph lost his coat. But in this chapter, he doesn't lose his character. His character sustains him, even as he's in the midst of temptation's target. So let me describe the temptation again that we just read about that that he endured. First of all, it was subtle. It was subtle. It began, the Bible says, as Potiphar's wife cast her eyes on him. It was just a glance. And how often is that the case? It begins with a glance. It begins with the eyes being somewhere they should not have been. A forbidden fruit is looked at. I read again this week from the Psalms, Psalms 101 verse 2, I will be careful to live a blameless life. When will you come to help me? I will lead a life of integrity in my own home. I will refuse to look at anything vile and vulgar. Why? Because the eyes are a window to the soul. And always throughout scripture, we see how the eyes lead us into that sinfulness. In Genesis 3, it says, Eve saw. In Genesis 13, Lot lifted up his eyes. In Joshua 7, Achan saw. In 2 Samuel in verse 11, or in chapter 11, it says David saw. We, we have to be careful about what we see in allowing the, the slow, subtle advance of sin into our life. I love the song by Casting Crowns, Slow Fade. Listen to the lyrics. It's a slow fade when you give yourself away. It's a slow fade when black and white are turned to gray and thoughts invade and choices are made and a price will be paid when you give yourself away. People never crumble in a day. It's a slow fade. If you've just joined us, you're listening to The Barnabas Effect with Pastor Paul Purvis. Video of the message you're listening to is available when you click the Watch tab at MissionHillChurch.com. Thanks for sharing time with us and for sharing your financial gifts by clicking the Give button at MissionHillChurch.com. And now, with more of today's message, here's Pastor Paul Purvis. Someone has said most Christians who fall don't experience a blowout. It's a slow fade. That's why Job and and Job 31.1 would say, I've made a covenant with my eyes. And and maybe today you just need to make a commitment, a covenant right now to, to deal with those subtle temptations in your life that are leading you astray. It was subtle. 
but then it became striking. It was striking because after she had been casting glances, eventually she said, lie with me, come to bed with me, have sex with me. She was being very bold and and sometimes it will be flaunted. It will be in your face. Sometimes you're going to face temptation and it's going to be right before you and you have to decide how you're going to respond. And then his temptation was sustained. It says day after day after day, she continued. Hey, what about today, Joseph? Hey, today would be a good deal for you to act on that proposal. Hey, remember what I said yesterday, Joseph? What about today? Hey, I I would just remind you, you have an enemy. He's roaming to and fro. He's after you and your mama. The Bible says he's a thief. He wants to steal, kill, and to destroy you. He wants to take away your dreams. He's patient. A friend of mine says, the devil never wastes his arrows. So he'll wait on you. He'll just make it a constant, slow, sustained attack. Someone said, one drop of water will not wear away a rock, but repeated drops certainly will. It was subtle, it was striking, it was sustained, and then it was strategic. There came a day where she said, all right, nobody's here. Potiphar's gone, all the other workers are gone. It's just me and you in the palace, baby. Nobody will know what's it going to hurt. I won't tell anybody. Come on, Joseph. Strategic. What about the temptations that you're facing Are you aware of your weaknesses? The Bible says most of our temptations fall into one of three categories. Listen to 1 John 2, verse 16. For all that is in the world, the desire of the flesh, the desires of the eyes, and the pride of life. It's not from the Father, but it's from the world. And these are the same ways, by the way, that Jesus was tempted in the wilderness. Look at those again. The desires of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, materialism, or what I want. The the desires of the flesh, hedonism, what makes me feel good? The pride of life, that's egoism or or me-ism. How do I control things? What's in it for me? Joseph, like Jesus, was fighting temptation. And in doing so, he gives us a model. I want to wrap this all up by giving you that model from Joseph's life in Genesis 39. Number one. When fighting temptation, you have to be disciplined. Be disciplined. I, I love Joseph's first response. He, he says, no, I, I have a master, and, and my master has, has put me in charge of everything. He, he doesn't do anything about, except worry about what he's going to eat. How could I let him down? He had respect for the authority over him, and, and he had self-respect. He knew this could lead him down a path that, that would not be okay. He was disciplined. He went into the temptation knowing where he stood. Be disciplined. Secondly, be dedicated. Be dedicated. In verse 9, he says, um, by the way, you are my master's wife. He, he knew where the lines were. Joseph was a single man as, as far as we know, but, 
but she was not. He had a moral compass. I remember years ago, just being told as a teenager, you you don't make your decisions about how far you're going to go in a relationship or or what is right and what is wrong in the heat of the moment. No, you have a dedication to those standards prior to that time. And, And so some of you just need to realize, hey, there are clear moral standards that you need not violate at any point in your life. And you say dedicated to those standards. But the most important thing I would say is this. Be devoted. Be devoted. Because Joseph puts it this way. He says, "Um, why would I commit this grievous sin against my God? There's something consistent in scripture. When we sin, the one we're violating most is not another person. It's not even ourself. It's our God. Because he's the only one that's holy. So somewhere along the way, Joseph had made a decision that his love for God was greater than his love for self. See, you've got to decide, is my passion for God greater than the intensity of my temptation? Is my love for God greater than my love for me? Are you devoted? I think that's why from the Old Testament to the New Testament, at the core of our faith, we're told the most important thing, repeatedly we're told, is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength. Be disciplined, be dedicated, be devoted, and then be determined. (laughs) Even with that devotion, sometimes you're going to have to act in the face of temptation. So on that strategic day, Potiphar's wife comes after him and she's grabbing a hold of him and he says, no. And the Bible gives us this funny picture where apparently She's holding on to him. He runs away and he leaves his coat. It's not the coat of many colors, but it's whatever coat or outsider garment he is wearing. I don't know if he's running away in his tidy whities and his skivvies, whatever it is, he's out of there. Whatever it takes, he's determined he's not giving in to this moment. Sometimes you have to be that determined in the face of temptation. That's why it says in 2 Timothy in chapter 2 and verse 22, so flee useful passions, pursue righteousness. 1 Corinthians 6, 18 says, flee from sexual immorality. By the way, there are many areas of sinfulness in our life where the Bible just says stand firm and fight. But in the area of sexual immorality, in that area of sinfulness, the Bible always says get out of Dodge, run away, fast as you can, be determined, do not give in in this area of your life. I love this quote by R.T. Kendall. He, he says, strength is not merely an ability to resist temptation. True strength lies in refusing to go where you know temptation will be. Or Thomas Jones, he, he said, he who would avoid sin will not sit at the door of temptation. Be determined. How, how are you doing? Are you fighting temptation? Well, in chapter 39, Joseph avoids temptation. He flees. Interestingly, in chapter 38, there's an interlude in the story of Joseph and we read about his brother Judah. 
And in chapter 38, Judah does not avoid temptation. In fact, he commits sexual immorality. And, and some of you, you're viewing this today and it's hard because it's stirring up your missteps and your mistakes and all of those times you didn't flee. What do you do? Uh, first of all, I want you to hold on to the truth of God's word that's available to you. Like Jeremiah thirty-one thirty-four, this says, for I will forgive their iniquity, I will remember their sin no more. That takes place if we've understood 1 John 1, 9. If we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and cleanse us from our unrighteousness. And that's a great deal. But the only reason that deal is possible for you and me is because there's another one like Joseph who lived and never sinned. Truth is, Joseph was a sinner like you and me. But Jesus He never sinned. And because Jesus led a perfect life, he was able to die on the cross, not for his sin, but for your sin and for my sin. And because of the death of Jesus Christ, and because of the fact that he was buried and rose again, you and I, we can have forgiveness. We have this avenue of confession. And so when we fall into temptation and we sin, we can go to God and say, oh God, I need and receive your forgiveness. And I do that today. So I would ask you, What are you going to do about your dream's greatest danger? Hate yourself. Are you going to make sure you're avoiding that temptation? Are you going to deal with those times your dreams may have gotten derailed? This is kind of personal for me. Because earlier in life, there have been seasons where I've not always fled I've not always made the right choices. There have been times in my life where I've even wondered if my sinfulness would derail the dreams that God had planned for me. I've got good news for you. I don't think that has to be the case. But that's dependent upon whether or not you respond to God in the right way. So what if you're like me? What if you find yourself in a place where, man, your dreams are at risk of being derailed because of you? What do you do? Well, the first thing I did is I began to ask, God, am I truly saved? Has there been that point in my life where I trusted you, where I repented of my sins and, and gave you control of my life? If your life is more characterized by those sinful choices and that constant erring on your part into sin, that constant giving in to that propensity to sin, then then you may not have ever truly experienced that surrender. And and you may need to begin that relationship with him today, right now, in just a moment. For me, I I began to review my life and think about God's work, and and I thought, no, I I definitely have that relationship with you, Jesus. You've never left me. You've never forsaken me. It's me like Peter that's wandered at that guilty distance, but you have always been present with me. 
And so what do you do if that's you? Well, you make sure you take that moment and confess your sins. You have a repentant heart. And you ask the God of the universe to restore you so that you might live out the dreams that he's purposed for you. I pray. I pray that your dream's greatest danger, you, doesn't keep you from God's dreams for your life. You've been listening to The Barnabas Effect with Pastor Paul Purvis, an outreach of Mission Hill Church. If you're looking for answers to difficult questions or searching for a church home, you're invited to any of the three locations in Temple Terrace and Tampa. Details and directions at missionhillchurch.com. The Barnabas Effect is here to provide listeners like you with biblical truth and spiritual encouragement. But it can't be done without your financial support. Go to missionhillchurch.com and click on the Give tab. Your financial support helps us reach those seeking truth about God and themselves. Thank you for giving at missionhillchurch.com. Weekdays at 9 a.m. Be encouraged by The Barnabas Effect with Pastor Paul Purvis on Faith Talk, a.m. 570 and 910.